Hey, good morning. Summertime 2021. It's time to find your uh, favorite beach chair and um, grab it and maybe stop by your favorite place for your favorite cold drink, which for me would be Starbucks. Um, and the, the drink the, with dragon fruit, I'm not even sure what that is, but uh, mango dragon fruit uh, refresher cooler thing, you know, and find your favorite spot, kind of your favorite alone space, maybe on the back of your deck, maybe, uh, maybe even over here on this property somewhere, and grab a hold of that book that you've been meaning to get to but haven't for a while. And I would suggest this morning that that book that you've been meaning to get to and maybe haven't for a while um, be not just any book, but this morning I want to suggest to you for your summer reading the ultimate book, the most book, the book most sold ever in the history of the world, most translated, most studied, most read, a book that is a lamp to our feet, a book that will stand forever, a book that has the potential to feed your very soul. And there aren't too many of those, if any, others around. A book that is capable of keeping our way pure. A book that is the truth in a world of chaos and nonsense and going even more so deeply into all of that. A book that clarifies and delivers hope when there seems to be none. A book that is breathed out by God himself, which is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. A book that is powerful, impactful, consequential. It never returns void when you speak it out to someone. A book that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. A book that can divide your soul from your spirit. And what could possibly could you imagine doing that? That could divide your joints from marrow. A book that can literally discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart, even when you have no clue why your heart and your intentions are as they are. A book that though it was written over thousands of years by countless women and men, it has one theme. And that one theme is Jesus. The Old Testament, from the very beginning to the end, shouts out one thing. And it is, he's coming. Like, you can boil the whole Old Testament down so simply. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And the four Gospels just scream from four different vantage points, personally attesting to the fact that, listen to me. He's here, he's here, he's here, he's here. And Revelation, as wild a read as it is, is saying he's coming again. And the next time he comes, first time little baby in a smelly manger, next time he's coming down in power, and every person on the planet's going to see it and shudder, or see this as the coming moment you've been dreaming of and you get to see it happen. And all the other books between the Gospels and Revelation so clearly teach us. This is how you should live and behave before a perfect God until he comes again. 
You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, Jesus says, John 5, 39. You search the scriptures and think you know it all. That's how I interpret that first part of the verse. But then he puts a spin on it. Actually pulls out a great big neon arrow and points it right at himself. Which is ultimately, by the way, it's statements that come next in this verse of why they killed him. They did not kill Jesus because he walked on water and turned a couple of fish and pieces of bread into a bunch. That's not why they killed him. They killed him for what comes next that he would dare to say what he says next. Because the people that heard him say the first part of that verse, again, John 5, 39, like, yeah, yeah, I searched scripture and I do have it kind of figured out here, religious me. But then he says, and it is that they, it is they that bear witness about me, me. And when he said that, it was a whole different kettle of fish. Of this book, the Bible, Martin Luther once said, it is the cradle wherein Jesus is laid. And so this summer, with whatever you have on your to-do list, might I suggest that one of those things, maybe at the top of the to-do list, is to grab your Bible. And for some, that's routine. And for others, it's novel. But wherever you are on that spectrum, from that to that, don't feel guilty about it. Like, just give it a shot. You know what I mean? I hope you come away from this morning as we launch into a summer, probably like none other, um, as we get ready to take all our masks and do what I'm going to do, Amy, which is get some fireworks. Some of them are legal. They're sold in Acme now. I don't know, in Jersey. And get a little gasoline and light it all on fire. That's what I'm doing with mine. And, and we enter into a summer unlike none other with so much potential. This summer, to grab the Bible, what, and to ask yourself this question this morning, what would it mean if you committed this morning to spending both quality and quantity time in Scripture? How might that happen and what are the implications? Now to explore that, I want to share with you a story out of the Old Testament. It's a story about a young man that rediscovered the Word of God. And what happened next changed his life and changed the lives of everyone around him. So turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. I've been super pumped to share this chapter with you this morning. So much so, I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. I'm just going to read it to you. Um, and it's something you might want to read deeper into. It runs parallel to 2 Kings, uh, 2 Kings chapter 22 and following. So I'd invite you to, to go there another time if this chapter 34 of 2 Chronicles intrigues you because it's in a bit more detail in the King's version. 2 Chronicles 34 and then the parallel 2 Kings 22. First, a bit of background about this chapter. It's about Josiah, a young king. In fact, the guy was a kid. He was eight years old. The age of Jackson, right? <laughs> like, I love my grandson, but I can't picture him being king over a whole country. Maybe. He's a pretty sharp kid. <laughs> and you know the deal with the kings, both northern and southern. There were 43, and all but four were terrible people. Like, really bad. A few got their act together midway, and so I know in one 
kind of commentaries say, you could call those guys like so-so, you know. But for the most part, it was a rough deal. Jo- Josiah was one of the good ones. And, and there's some reasons for that we're going to explore a little bit this morning. Josiah's, back it up two generations, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, was, was one, of the, one of the bad ones. Or, or really, it turned out more one of the so-so ones. Second Chronicles 33, 9, Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so not just him, but everybody he uh, led, astray, to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. More than the pagans, they did terrible stuff. But eventually, Manasseh humbled himself, Scripture says, and cried out to the Lord, and the Lord was moved and heard him and forgave him of his ways. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. But eventually, Manasseh died, and his son Ammon, Josiah's dad, took over. Young. He was young as well, at 22 years old. Ammon was just like his dad like Manasseh early on. In fact, Scripture says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and had no problem with doing so. And unlike his dad, Ammon, Josiah's father, unlike Josiah's grandpa, he never got it together, never. And eventually the people around him had had enough of his evil ways and they killed him. And then the other people of the kingdom saw what was done, and they killed those people. And they made Josiah at eight years old king, which says a lot. Like, eight-year-old Josiah couldn't be as bad as his dad. So let's give this a shot. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 34, and, and let me read through it for you. Um, and whatever version you have, uh, sometimes it's kind of nice to read along a different version as someone reads. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And notice there's kind of a chronology here, kind of skimming along. So you're picking up on the ages, the markers along the way with Josiah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So apparently right out of the gate. And walked in the ways of David, his father. So he knew way back when some of his older relatives and what they were about. And did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so now he's 16. He's a high school sophomore. And it's interesting what happens during his, the equivalent of high school age years. While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. That's just very striking to me. That's the only comment about his four years of high school. And it's striking to me, having watched our students seeking the heart of God over their high school years. That just isn't lost on me. And in the 12th year, he began to purge. So now he's 20. What were you doing at age 20? Well, Josiah 
um, began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and metal images, and they chopped down the altars of the Baals and the presents, and he cut down the incense altars and stood above them, and he broke them in pieces and carved uh, all the carving and metal images, and he made dust of them, scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem and all the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, and the ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the Asherim and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. And then he returned to Jerusalem. He was on a tear, man, at 20. What were you doing at age 20? Now, in the 18th year, at age 26 of his reign, after he had cleansed the land of the house he sent Shaphan, and, th and this is a key thing, his relationship with Shaphan. You're going to see him a little bit here. The son of Azaliah and Messiah, the governor of the city, and jo Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. So all the, all the evil has been cleansed out, and now it's time to build at age 26. And he has, he has a plan. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keepers of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and, and Benjamin from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And by the way, elders, and all of us, but elders, notice how the king and those around him treat money in this um, and the integrity of it that, that I've appreciated us certainly doing as well. It's just interesting to me. Verse 10, and they gave it to the workmen who were working, talking about the money here, working in the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it, talking about money here, for repairing and restoring the house. They gave it to the carpenters, talking about the transfer again of money here, and the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the king of Judah had let go to ruin. And the men did the work faithfully. Over them were set Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites, the sons of Mer Merari and Zechariah and Meshelam, the sons of, of the Kothites, to have oversight the Levites, who were skilled with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers. Interesting kind of uh, uh, multitasking here for the musicians. And directed all who did work in every kind of service. And some of the Levites were even scribes and officials and gatekeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the Lord that had been given through Moses, that had been lost, that had been under a pile of rubble deep down in a closet somewhere that had not really been opened in 
a long, long time because nobody bothered to go looking for it. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary of the king, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants are doing. And he references money, again, integrity here. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Just so you know, everything's been done properly, king. Nobody's ripping you off, and certainly no one's ripping off God here. It's all been done just as you ordered. And then he gets to the even more important matter at hand. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hey, king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now just picture that scene in your mind. You know, jo Josiah had cleansed out all this evil. He was aware of that. He was aware of who David was, obviously. He knew his grandpa had repented and really turned things around, but his dad was a mess. But he hadn't really heard the word. You know, a good guy, trying to do what was right, but he hadn't heard the word. And then look at his response after hearing the word. I know if you've been chasing after Jesus for any length of time, you can identify with his response. I can. And if you're a Christian, you can. And if you can't, may today be a day of repentance for you and for us all. And when the king heard the words of the law, Taurus, close. The king, Mr. Big Shot, ripped off his, his outer garment and fell flat on his face. And what else can you do? My God in heaven, that's what all this is about. I am so sorry. And he repented. He tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the word of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord God that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in his book. It, he wanted to know more. I mean, just the reading of it smacked him between the eyes. But he knew enough to know there must be more. Like, what is this about? What is this about for me, for my family, for my kingdom, for the future? My dad put us in a bad place here. My grandpa... He just starts thinking back in his lineage and even knowing his own heart. It ripped him at his own heart and he wanted to know more. So Hilkiah, verse 22, and those whom the king had sent went to, and this is so interesting, do a study. It's so easy to do nowadays. You've got to be careful with Google, you know. Check the source. 
Don't just read any nonsense out there, and there's plenty of nonsense out there, but there's also some pretty interesting ways to go a little deeper, especially into who some of these people are, you know? Um, and by the way, Jeremiah was alive during this. Like, go to Jeremiah, he's the man. Or go to this prophet, he's got it on. Instead, he goes to this seemingly very obscure, at least in Scripture obscure, woman, prophetess, named Huldah, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokthath, son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter um, and spoke to her to that effect. So didn't go to the big shot, went to a woman in a very patriarchal society. I mean, there's just so many different implications of this moment. And it turned out that these guys went to the right person. She nailed it. Even before they got five words out of their mouth, boom, she nailed it and laid it out. It was, it was clearly directly from God for Josiah. And it was read and kept and passed on right down that line. And she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. You hear that coming out of somebody's mouth? Either they're blowing smoke or you better listen. And they knew enough to listen. Tell the man, now talking about Josiah here, to go back and tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Like, I'm not messing around here. This is from God, I have no doubt. Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched, period, full stop. Well, that's scary. You know what I'm saying? And then you got to ask yourself, who's that for? Is that for Josiah? Is that, I mean, he seems to be trying to do what's right here. He, he repented before God. He ripped his garment before these guys went to Huldah. Who's that for? And she doesn't stop there. She says in verse 26, thankfully using the word but, but, and I'm sure these guys before Huldah go, oh, there's more. Good. <laughs> That's not the end of it. But, but, and, and, and find in what comes next. Why Huldah says, really from the mouth of God, but, changes the tune here, but to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have read, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, you high and mighty king. Your dad was so full of himself. Your grandpa was too, but he changed his ways and most of your relatives going all the way back. Because you humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes, 
You just didn't feel sorry. I'm sorry. But you did something about it and wept before me. There's a lot of emotion in the Bible. There's a lot. This is not some head trip. You know what I'm saying? There's some of that, but not so much, to be honest with you. And wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold. Whenever you see that, behold, it means this is it. I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. And I'm sure, on the one hand, there was gladness and a great appreciation that God had spared them. But I'm sure late at night, more than once, Josiah, his thoughts went to his kids and his grandkids, and knowing that this tragedy was still on the horizon, not for him, but down the road. And sure enough, that did happen. He wasn't around to see it. And then the king, verse 29 sent and gathered together after he had heard these words brought back to him from Huldah, this interpretation of scripture and prophecy. It brought back, gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, that book that had been found, that a covenant before that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord in a public way to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant covenant that were written in this book. Interesting word, perform. He didn't just give assent. He didn't just agree. I've always liked the phrase, I forget who I first heard it from, but may God spare us from hearing the word of God, from hearing a sermon preached and just nodding in agreement. Yeah, sure, I agree with that and then walking away unchanged. That's not good enough. And it wasn't for Josiah, with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were in the book. And then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. I'm not sure what the word made there was. I mean, he was king. I, at first I thought he made him, but I think it's not like he forced them. I think they saw their way because they stayed with it all the way to the end. I think if it was coercion made, I think it was more by example he made a way for them to follow suit, and they, they respected him. How could you not? The guy was even careful with God's money. You know what I mean? So I think, by the way, that's why the references of money is in there. There really isn't a need for it other than this guy early on, all the way through his young years, was respected. And so if he says, this is the way it is before God, and I see him doing that, 
And they all knew he had ripped and repented and all that. They knew. That got around. But they followed suit. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And then this final line, all his days they, not just him, all his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Uh, I really wanted to read that to you this morning. I have four pages of a sermon that the clock turned red back there, so I can't give you. Um, maybe I will let that stew in your heart a little bit and put my message up on our internet. Um, now, it's not going to read like a book because I do it kind of wonky, you know what I mean? So maybe I'll redo it and put it in more better form, and maybe I won't, but I'll put up some of the notes. Suffice it to say this, and, and really where I was going to go after that, but ran out of time, is uh, digging deep into God's word is not rocket science, you know? Amy and I have a big wooden sign in the space that we kind of live next to our kitchen and dining room and such. And it says, simplify. When I saw that sign at like Home Goods or something, I bought it. Um, and I've used it a lot. I've even brought it to some churches I've had some interaction with and just go, you know what, this isn't rocket science. In fact, there was one church that I was brought in to kind of consult. They were trying to get a handle on youth ministry. And they were making it way too complicated. So I brought that sign over and put it up every time I met with them and go, just keep it simple here. You know what I mean? And I think digging deep into Scripture is that. It's receiving it. Think of what Josiah did. He received the Word of God, and then he responded to it. To receive it and respond to it. And he, he received it in a lot of ways, but that first reception came from the fact he had people in his life that brought it to him. You know what I mean? Think what would have happened if those guys hadn't thought to bring God's word to the king and just read it and let it kind of marinate inside of him. You know? Super simple. He had people in his life. Do you have people in your life that bring you the word of God? I have very consistently, starting with Amy. I just really appreciate that, Amy. And I pretty consistently for the last 30 years had, it was one guy in particular for a long while and then he moved away and I have a, a guy now that I trust. You know what I mean? And Amy knows that. And we get on the phone every week for an hour and there's no agenda. In fact, when I first started meeting with this other fellow, we'd get together and we'd get books and we'd do bum boom and finally we just go coffee, bagels, and a Bible, and then we'll pray at the end. Let's see where God takes us. You know what I mean? No agenda, other than we had the scripture open and we just share a little bit. And 
and that was sweet. Do you have someone like that? Especially you men. I think women are way better at making sure that they have people in their lives who are friends and who understand them and that they trust. I think we men maybe struggle with that. I know I have, especially post-college. Um, and then responding to it. And I think, I think that's intellectually, understanding it, and there's ways to really dig deep, and emotionally. And I think Josiah did that. To really consume the Word of God. And there's a number of references in Scripture that say it like that, almost like it's a meal. Your words came to me and I ate them. Um, when, when I found your word, Lord, I, it's almost like a waiter bringing it to you. So to have someone in your life that brings you the word of God, to intentionally position yourself in small group, which is why we built our student ministry around small groups, where you're safe, where you can be known, where there's a leader that's a Paul to you who is a Timothy, you know? And students are hungry for that and have been for the last 20 years, not just during the pandemic. And to position yourself here as we've fed from Jeff's preaching, you know, it's always been very striking to me that a church says to someone like Jeff, um, we are going to free you up to sit in your study, and I've watched them do it, you know, Many times I'll hear him say to Don as, he, as you walk in, Jeff, I'm sermonizing now. Please, can you protect my door? <laughs> and, and rightly so. In the old adage of it takes an hour of study to be able to get up here for a minute, Jeff has demonstrated that during his time. So it's valuable to us to set aside someone that has the skill and the tools to dig deep and then to feed us. So small groups, um, preaching the Word of God, and personal study. By the way, I don't mean this as a commercial, but I've spent the past year, I'm discipling a group of 14 of our sophomore guys. We have five groups of sophomores this year. Um, powerhouse class. I mean, they're all great, but there's something special about class of 23. Um, and when John Hannig left, I inherited his group. I miss John, but I'm so grateful for these 14 guys and I get as much as probably more than they do but we decided we were going to do a high fly over the Old Testament sophomore year a high fly over the New Testament junior year and then we're going to get it on on stuff and I found this I commend it to you you can read about it this guy's name is Zach Wendell he's from Minneapolis so he's he's a good guy and um he just didn't get it with scripture like like it must be important but i just don't get it so he went on one of these long pilgrimages in a volkswagen bus or something i don't know his full story and went to seminary and came up with this two volume compendium and it just says as you can say the bible study he kept it simple there's some beautiful artwork in there um uh, but it's a high fly over the Old Testament, and then another one, like I said, I gave this two-piece compendium to all of our adult leaders this year as a thank you. Um, and by the way, on the back of this book, it says simply, the Bible is good for you. Okay. Um, you can, I'm going to post this up. I talked to Rick earlier. I'm going to post this up on our website, the web address, but it's thebrandsunday.com, thebrandsunday. If you're looking... You know, and there's many helps. I mean, navigators and so many others to be able to dig deep. And ultimately, you don't need any resource. 
this is the ultimate curriculum right here. This is all you need in the Holy Spirit. But there are other things out there. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for all the ways that you feed our soul through the mighty word of God. And I thank you for the faithfulness of over 20 years of Jeff Ebert, who has taken your word serious. We don't, I don't, we don't take that for granted. So many churches are starved for the word, not us. And there's no pride in that, just gratitude. And may this summer, would you put a fire in our belly to be, can only be quenched and fed by the word of God. Give us a hunger for that. Help us to be disciplined enough to spend regular time in your word. Give us the relationship that we need of someone that would bring and encourage us in the journey with the word. And we thank you for what lies ahead as we come out of a global pandemic, as we enter into a new season of leadership here in this church. May we stand on the mighty word of God. In Christ's name, amen.